In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. As your dean mentioned, I am a longtime friend of the Advent, and this is a real privilege and joy to be back together with you. And I'm not only looking forward to three days of opening the scriptures together with you, but also interacting with many of you over lunch and, and hopefully smaller conversations uh, afterwards. So thank you again for having me very, very, very much. I want to uh, speak this morning from Romans, uh, Romans chapter 2. So if you want to reach for a pew Bible and follow along, you're welcome to do that. One of my academic rude awakenings happened when I was an undergraduate in college. I had a philosophy professor that I really adored. He was smart, he was deep, he was thoughtful, but he was also just hilarious. He had a wickedly funny sense of humor. And his love language was making fun of people. And uh, you knew if he joked with you and made some sarcastic comment about your personality quirks or your weird habits, you were one of his favorites. And he made fun of me a lot, so I believed that I was one of his favorites. And my college in those days, I hope they still have this, but in those days they had what they called a dine with a mind program. And this was where you could go to the student services office and you could request a meal ticket that you could then give to a professor so that the professor could come with you to the dining commons and eat for free. And it was their way of encouraging students to get to know faculty members and vice versa. And I did this with this professor that I adored and worshipped and, and we did it quite a lot. And uh, I felt that we were becoming friends. Um, and I admired him and I confided in him and I, I thought, you know, we had some sort of special uh, friendship going. Well. You can imagine then how I was feeling when it was time to hand in my first paper for his class. I was feeling pretty darn good. I'd written it in a way that I was sure he would like it. I'd done my research. I'd written a solid essay. I'd not cheated. But even more than that, I was counting on the fact that we were friends and that he liked me, that I was one of his favorites. And I felt very confident that I would get an A on that paper and maybe some others in the class would not get an A on their papers. But just as we were all pulling out our papers, this was in the days when you didn't submit them online, we pulled them out of our backpacks and uh, handed them in, the professor did something that I was not expecting. He asked us to black out our names as we'd printed them on the cover page and write them instead on the back of the back page of the paper. And his explanation for this was, I like some of you too much and I want to be unbiased as I'm grading your papers, and my heart sunk. As he was reading my paper, he wouldn't know it was me. He wouldn't know it was his friend. It would be like a blind taste test. He'd be grading my paper purely on its own merits without considering that it was me, his favorite, I was sure, who wrote it. So suddenly my confidence about getting an A greatly diminished, shall we say. Well, I've been thinking about that experience because I've been teaching Romans, and I'm, I'm reading back through Romans. And I want to camp out on Romans for the next three days with you, but uh, I know you all here at the Advent are very well rooted in Romans. It's one of the reasons I like coming here, because you're grounded in, in this great letter. And I know you'll be familiar already with the, with the arc of Romans. In the first chapter, of course, in verses 16 and 17, Paul announces his theme, which is the saving righteousness of God given freely to sinners. And then he describes why we need that theme. 
And he spends the rest of chapter 1 detailing human rebellion and misery. He describes the human plight with this image of the exchange. He uses that word three times in Romans 1, an exchange. Like the people of Israel who exchanged the worship of God for the worship of a golden calf they had made for themselves, all of us, all of humanity, have traded in the worship of the true God for the worship of idols. But here's the thing. Paul knows, as he writes this lurid description, that many of his readers will feel that those words are about other people. There will be some people on the sidelines that are cheering Paul on as they watch Paul wag his finger at sinners. And these people will be congratulating themselves that they're God's favorites. God would never give them an F on the don't sin assignment because he likes them. Listen to how Paul describes these these sideline people here in chapter 2 of Romans. This is verses 18 through 20. He says, you call yourself a Jew, and you rely on the law, and you boast of your relation to God. And you know his will and determine what is best because you're instructed in the law, and you are sure that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Paul knows that there are some Jewish readers of his letter, Jews like himself, who are tempted to think that being one of God's favorites is enough to get you an A grade at the final judgment. Paul knows this because that was his own story. He relied on his family pedigree and felt confident that he was one of God's favorites. But here's the truth that Paul wants his readers to face in Romans 2. This reliance on being God's favorite, this trust in your family pedigree and the religious trophies that are sitting on your shelf will not be enough to get you through God's final judgment. There are three reasons for this that Paul explores in Romans 2. And here's the first one. Your achievements aren't what you think they are. Look at how Paul says this at the beginning of Romans 2 in verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. In other words, you're boasting about having written your class paper in a truly excellent way. But the reality is that you're lying. Your peaceful confidence that everyone else is going to get an F because they've sinned. While you're going to receive an A because you've done what's right. You've lived up to the family name. Conveniently overlooks the fact that you yourself also are caught up in the same pattern of idolatrous exchange that you would like to think is true only of those other people over there. Your alleged obedience is actually tainted. Look how Paul puts it later in the chapter. This is verses 21 through 23. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You that forbid adultery, do you commit adultery? You that abhor idols, do you rob temples? You that boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Paul believes that all of us, all of us without exception, whoever we are, Jew or Greek, family pedigree or no family pedigree, cannot help 
but break God's holy law. And therefore, any of us, for any of us to claim that we've done our homework and will therefore certainly get an A is delusional. None of us have done our homework in the way that God requires. Secondly, Paul gives a second reason for why our trust, your trust, my trust, in our family pedigree won't be enough to get you through the final judgment unscathed, and it's this. Your family identity wasn't yours to begin with. Being part of the chosen family of God was not and is not your possession or achievement. It isn't yours to use to try to curry God's favor or manipulate God. It isn't about your success at all, actually. The judgmental people that Paul is addressing are only a part of God's chosen people by God's gift. Look at how Paul finishes this chapter in Romans. This is verse 29. He says, A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. In other words, what he's saying is, if you're sitting in judgment on sinners, and you're counting on the fact that you're okay because you're one of God's favorites, you're overlooking the fact that God is the one who made you one of his favorites. Your family identity, which you're placing so much of your confidence in, hangs by a single thread from the creative work of the Spirit. And if that's the case, a little more humility is in order. Finally, thirdly, Paul wants to press home for his judgmental readers that God is an absolutely impartial judge. When judgment day comes, it won't be enough to rely on your status or your pedigree or your confidence that you're one of God's favorites because God is the kind of judge who's going to ask you to black out your name on the front of your paper and write it on the back because God is going to be a blind taste tester. God will be completely unbiased. God will judge us purely on our merits. Listen to how Paul says it right in the middle of Romans 2, verses 6 to 11. God will repay according to each one's deeds. To those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. While for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth but wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. On judgment day, Paul tells us, God will not be bribed. God will not be cajoled. God will not be manipulated or swayed in any way. Here's how Paul puts it very starkly in verse 13. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So to sum up, Paul's facing a group of readers who are confident that unlike those nasty sinners over there who are dancing around the golden calf, they, on the other hand, are going to get a gold star and a pat on the back from God. They are God's favorites the teacher's pets, the good guys. But Paul reminds them of three truths. Number one, your work isn't as good as you think it is. Number two, your very identity as one of God's favorites is purely God's gift. And thirdly, in any case, regardless of your status, as a favorite or not, God is, not, God is going to put on a blindfold 
when he judges the world, and he will judge each one purely on whether or not we did what he told us to do. Now, we're almost at the end of this sermon, and you should be thinking, where's the hope in this? I thought this was the advent. Where's the gospel? Where's the good news of Jesus Christ here? Well, tomorrow, I'm going to open up Romans 3 and talk about how God breaks into this whole sorry situation through the cross. But for now, I just want to point you to two little glimmers of hope in Romans 2. Two two glimmers of the gospel here in Romans 2. And the first one is this. If you're a person who knows in your bones, in your heart, that you've made a mess of your life, if you know that you didn't do the homework as well as you thought you did the homework or said you did the homework, if you know that you don't come from the right family and you definitely aren't a candidate for being the teacher's favorite, then suddenly, I think, the fact that God is an impartial judge takes on a different hue and it opens up the possibility that maybe, just maybe, God will turn out to be a God who surprises you, a God who shows mercy. Think of it this way. Think of it the other way around. If God were biased, if God were rather than impartial, if God were partial, if he only gave A's to those who came from certain families, to those who ticked particular boxes, then if you're a screw-up in any way, you're sunk. But if God is unbiased, if God is impartial, as Paul said, then maybe, just maybe, the upstanding Pharisee doesn't necessarily have an advantage over the scheming tax collector. Maybe the teacher's pet doesn't necessarily have any advantage over the lazy cheater. If God is impartial and doesn't play favorites, then maybe there's hope for some of us who know we could never become one of God's favorites through our own achievements, even if we were given a million years to do it. Maybe instead we can begin to turn away from our own efforts and throw ourselves on the mercy of the judge and trust that God, by his own free choice, might bestow mercy on us rather than condemnation. But, but there's one more hint here, friends, one more tantalizingly hopeful hint already in Romans 2 before we come to Romans 3. Notice what Paul says in that little phrase at the very end of verse 16. According to my gospel, God, through Jesus Christ, will judge the secret thoughts of all. Do you hear that? God will judge all of us through Jesus Christ. God's final grading of our papers is a delegated grading, you might say. God's going to grade us through Jesus Christ. God has a TA, a teacher's assistant, if you want to think of it that way. And this TA is one who just spent 33 years of his life living with us as a fellow student, living in the dorms with us, eating at the dining hall with us, sitting up late at night in the frat house to listen to us cry when no one else was around. And this TA was known to be someone who loved all the screw-ups on campus. He spent most of his time with the cheaters and the class skippers and the ones who didn't get into college because of their last name or their long list of extracurricular achievements. And ultimately, he died. He intentionally died. He intentionally gave his life for the whole school, the whole rat race of overachievers and underachievers, the blue bloods and the drunks, 
The dean's list honors graduates and the frat boy screw-ups. And now, that one, that very one who's come back to life, that TA, is now the one whom the teacher has delegated as the one to grade your final paper. There's hope in that. There's hope in that. God's final judgment is going to be rendered by one who, as Paul says in Romans 4, was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.